My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. With the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Consort Camilla quickly approaching on the 6th of May 2023, there has been a lot in the news about the British crown jewels. Select pieces are being quietly removed from display at the Tower of London to be cleaned and refurbished to fit the new king and queen. So let's learn all about the mind-bogglingly valuable and historically invaluable collection of crowns, scepters, orbs, rings, and other precious objects, which will soon be appearing on screens across the world. The Crown Jewels, a peek inside the jewel house. The crown, the very symbol of power, wealth, majesty, and royalty. It is a shining golden signal to the medieval mud-caked peasantry that here is a person who is above them and blessed from above. You can't be a king without the bling. Over the years, many dazzling displays of opulence have been added to the regalia, including scepters, orbs, robes, and rings, all imbued with the power to transform a mere mortal into a monarch. Today, the handful of remaining monarchies in Europe have consigned their crown jewels to museums and have moved to more modest, secular swearing-in ceremonies. But in Britain, the myth and majesty of monarchy is still very much in practice. The diamond-encrusted imperial state crown is paraded out each year when the monarch opens parliament, and the regalia will be a central part of the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Consort Camilla. Last week, we followed the crown jewels on their journey from the Dark Ages to today. They were washed away in the sea, stolen from a grave, and melted down to make coins. Today, we will take a look at the individual pieces which comprise the crown jewel collection. These 142 precious objects represent 800 years of history, hundreds of pounds weight in gold and silver, 23,578 precious and semi-precious gemstones, and a value of over $4 billion. The Sovereign Crowns 
All seven sovereign crowns are formed with alternating crosses representing Christianity and fleur-de-lis, a stylized lily composed of three petals bound together at the base. This ancient heraldic symbol has been given a variety of meanings and has been used by royal families throughout Europe, most notably in France. The fleur-de-lis is associated with the medieval English Plantagenet dynasty, which is of French descent. Most of the crowns have a red or purple velvet cap and a border of ermine fur. Only two of the crowns are used today. They are St. Edward's crown, the centerpiece and the oldest in the collection, dating back to the reign of Charles II in 1661. The original medieval crown dating back to 1042, which was stolen from St. Edward's grave, was melted down to make coins after the English Civil War. When the monarchy was restored, King Charles II had this new crown made, and the base resembles the medieval original as closely as anyone could remember. The oversized arches, however, reflect the Baroque style of the mid-1600s. This is the crown which is placed on the sovereign's head at the moment of crowning during the coronation. It is set with 444 stones, including amethysts, garnets, peridots, rubies, sapphires, topaz, tourmalines, and zircons. It stands 11.8 inches tall and weighs 4.9 pounds. It is quite heavy and uncomfortable, so most of Charles II's successors chose to be crowned with smaller crowns. But King George V brought back St. Edward's crown in 1911, and his son George VI and granddaughter Elizabeth II were also crowned with it and wore it for a few minutes, as long as they could bear, during their coronations. In addition to the cumbersome weight, the original St. Edward's crown was a holy relic and was not allowed to be taken out of Westminster Abbey. So monarchs had a second, smaller, and more comfortable crown to wear while leaving the Abbey and during other important state occasions, like the annual opening of Parliament. As the state crown gets used a few times a year rather than six times in 360 years, these crowns have been worn down and damaged far more often. At Queen Victoria's state opening of Parliament in 1845, the Duke of Argyll dropped the state crown and broke it. Victoria wrote that it was all crushed and squashed like a pudding that had sat down. There have been eight different state crowns created since the Restoration. St. Edward's crown is such an important antique that it is kept in pristine condition and not added to. But as the British Empire expanded, so did the wealth of the monarchy. When new diamonds and gems were added to the royal treasury, they were often placed in the state crown. And when a state crown was retired, the precious gems were recycled into its successor. The current imperial state crown contains the treasure trove of the royal family's diamond and gem collection. It is the crown which appears in the intro to the hit drama, The Crown. It was made in 1937 for King George VI and is a copy of the one made in 1838 for Queen Victoria, 
which was squashed like a pudding. For the 1953 coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, the crown was resized for her smaller head, and the arches were lowered by one inch to give the crown a more feminine appearance. The arches are formed in an oak leaf pattern, a symbol of strength and endurance. It contains 2,868 diamonds, 273 pearls, 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, and 5 rubies. Front and center is the 317 carat Cullinan II diamond. It is the second largest of several diamonds cut from a single massive stone mined in South Africa, the history of which I will get to shortly. Above the Cullinan II is the 170 carat Black Prince's Ruby. This stone is actually a spinel, which were discovered to be chemically distinct from rubies in the 1800s and are actually more rare. In 1367, warrior Edward, Prince of Wales, demanded the massive uncut red gem from Spanish Lord Don Pedro in thanks for helping him defeat a rival Moor. In 1415, King Henry V wore the stone on the front of his helmet at the Battle of Agincourt. The young king had a hole drilled in the top of the stone, in which he stuck a plume of feathers. The hole has since been patched up with a small ruby. Henry won the day in an unlikely landslide, securing the crowns of both England and France. In 1485, King Richard III wore the gem at the Battle of Bosworth, but it wasn't as lucky for him. He received a fatal head wound, and according to legend, his battle crown was found under a bush and placed on the head of the new king, Henry VII. On the back of the imperial state crown is the Stuart Sapphire, purchased by Charles II in 1660. When his brother, King James II, was forced off the throne, he took the giant sapphire with him when he fled to France. He passed the jewel down to his descendants until they ran out of money and sold it back to King George III in 1807. Below the mound hang four oriental drop pearls, three of which are said to have belonged to Catherine de' Medici, the Queen of France, who gave them to her daughter-in-law, Mary, Queen of Scots. Upon her execution in 1587, they fell into the hands of her cousin, Queen Elizabeth I of England, who wore them on her ruff. In the center of the cross is St. Edward's Sapphire, the oldest gemstone in the collection, dating back to 1042. The stone was reputedly taken from a ring removed from the sainted king's corpse. The imperial state crown along with the scepter with cross and the orb were seen most recently on the coffin of Queen Elizabeth II. The crown will be refurbished to fit King Charles III. The arches will most likely be raised to their original height to make the crown more masculine. There are five other historic sovereign crowns in the collection which are no longer in use. They are the state crown of George I, made in 1714 to replace the state crown used by the Stuarts. The crown is currently displayed empty of jewels, except for the unique aquamarine mound. Coronation crown of George IV. 
Royal Dandy George, the Prince Regent, waited nine years for his father to die so he could get his hands on the throne. When he finally did, he wanted only the best for himself and cared nothing of the cost. He ordered a new coronation crown, state crown, and a diamond diadem, all filled with precious stones for his 1821 coronation. His coronation crown is kept empty in the jewel house, as is a cast of his state crown, the original of which has been lost. George IV's diamond diadem is owned privately by the queen, who wears it frequently. Queen Victoria's small diamond crown was made for the queen in later life when she began suffering migraines, exacerbated by the heavy imperial crown. This dainty 3.9-inch headpiece was set with 1,187 diamonds and became synonymous with Queen Victoria. The Crown of India was created for George V when he traveled to the subcontinent in 1911 to be proclaimed emperor at the Delhi Durbar. As the other crown jewels cannot by law be taken out of the United Kingdom, this crown was created for the occasion. King George and Queen Mary sat in the sweltering sun in their full English clothes, royal robes, and regalia for three hours during the ceremony, gradually getting wearier and weaker. The crown of India has not been worn since. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Queen Consort Crowns. The state crown of Mary of Modena was created for the wife of James II in 1685. It came with a matching but much smaller diadem, which the queen wore for her procession into the abbey. These crowns were worn by the queen's consort of the Georgian era until 1831, when the state crown was in need of repair and was deemed to be too theatrical. Since then, the queen's consort have opted to have new crowns made to reflect their own style. The crown of Queen Adelaide was made for the wife of William IV, using gemstones from her private collection. The crown of Queen Alexandra was made for the wife of Edward VII in 1902. The stylish Danish queen requested a European-style crown with four arches instead of the traditional two. It was set with 3,000 diamonds, including the legendary Koh-i-Noor diamond. This 105-carat stone, called the Mountain of Light, was mined in India, where rulers fought and killed over it for centuries. 
Shah Jahan, builder of the Taj Mahal, placed the diamond in his peacock throne. He was imprisoned and killed by his own son. The diamond was next stolen by Persian ruler Nadir Shah, who was assassinated, plunging his empire into civil war. The Sikh emperor Shir Singh obtained the stone, but he was assassinated, leaving the throne and the diamond to his five-year-old son, Dulip Singh, who was forced off the throne during the Anglo-Sikh War of 1849. All the royal family's possessions were seized by the British East India Company. The Kohinoor diamond and several other priceless jewels were presented to Queen Victoria by the company. Because of the many disasters which have befallen male owners of the Kohinoor diamond, it is believed to be cursed and is therefore only worn in the crowns of women. The government of India has requested the return of this priceless piece of their history but has thus been ignored. The crown of Queen Mary was made in 1911 for the wife of George V. It was set with 2,200 diamonds, including the Koh-i-Noor and Cullinan's three and four. Queen Mary paid for the Art Deco crown herself and hoped it would be used by future generations of queens. But by the time Elizabeth Bowes Lyon was crowned in 1937, she didn't want to wear her mother-in-law's hand-me-down. Mary wore her crown without the arches for her son's coronation, and the new queen had the crown of Queen Elizabeth made for herself. It is the only British crown crafted entirely out of platinum and is fitted with 2,800 diamonds, including the Kohinoor diamond, the 22.5 carat Lahore diamond given to Queen Victoria by the East India Company in 1851, and a 17.3 carat diamond given to her by Abdul Masid I, Sultan of the Ottoman Empire in 1856. Elizabeth wore the crown without the arches to her daughter's coronation in 1953, and it was placed on top of her coffin at her funeral in 2002. Because of the current cost of living crisis in the UK, ordering a new consort crown would have been seen as extravagant. So Queen Camilla was expected to reuse one of the existing consort crowns. Her decision to wear Queen Mary's 1911 Art Deco crown was recently announced by the palace. This is the largest of the available consort crowns and will be well suited to Camilla, who is taller than the previous queen consorts. But this crown was designed to contain the controversial Koh-i-Noor diamond. The palace announced that the crown will be fitted with Cullinan's 3, 4, and 5, but avoided discussion of what will be placed in the giant gap where the Koh-i-Noor would go. It remains to be seen how the crown will be redesigned to avoid international tension. Prince of Wales Coronets The collection also includes three coronets for the heir to the throne. According to a royal warrant issued by Charles II, the gold coronet shall include alternating crosses and fleur-de-lis, with a single arch, mound, and cross indicating that the heir is less than the monarch, but greater than the other royal children. The first coronet was created for George II's eldest son, Frederick, who died before becoming king. By the 1902 coronation of Edward VII, Frederick's coronet was in disrepair, and a new one was created for the future George V. 
when his son, Edward VIII, abdicated to marry Wallace Simpson and fled to France, he absconded with the coronet. A new coronet had to be made in 1969 for the ceremony in which Prince Charles was invested as Prince of Wales. The 60s were a time of unrest in the UK. There were power outages, oil shortages, and protests across the country. The original, more traditional design submitted by Gerrards & Co. was rejected as too ostentatious. So designer Louis Osman was commissioned to create this very modern, almost sci-fi crown with interpretive fleur-de-lis, diamonds in the shape of a Scorpio for Charles's birthday, November 14th, and an actual electroplated ping-pong ball for the mound. When the former Edward VIII died in 1972, his coronet was returned to the royal collection. So Prince William will have his choice of traditional, modern, or an entirely new coronet when he pays homage to his father at the coronation. Processional Objects These symbolic objects are carried by important lords as the monarch enters Westminster Abbey for the coronation. Six Swords the Sword of Spiritual Justice, the Sword of Temporal Justice, and the Blunt Sword of Mercy, which date to the reign of James I, and are three of the four objects which survived the English Civil War intact to re-enter the collection. The Two-Handed Sword of State and the Sword of Offering are also carried in the procession, but the Irish Sword of State is no longer included since the Republic of Ireland left the UK in 1949. A walking stick called St. Edward's Staff was made for Charles II based on the inventory of medieval regalia. Its significance in the coronation ceremony has been lost to history. Sixteen trumpets made of silver and draped with red silk damask embroidered in gold with coats of arms date to 1780 and 1848. Thirteen maces, originally used to bludgeon enemies in battle, maces have become decorative objects representing the monarch's might. The House of Commons can only operate lawfully when a royal mace is present at the table. Anointing Objects Once the new monarch is in the abbey, they are anointed with holy oil using these implements. The ampulla was supposedly presented to Thomas Becket, Archbishop of Canterbury, by the Virgin Mary in a holy vision. The one used today is a replica of the medieval relic. Holy oil is held in the ampulla and dripped out of the eagle's mouth into the anointing spoon, the oldest object in the collection dating to the 12th century. The Archbishop of Canterbury dips two fingers into the oil in the spoon to anoint the forehead and breast of the monarch. Robes and Ornaments These adornments are worn or held by the monarch during the coronation ceremony. Robes represent the monarch's holy authority and are based on robes worn by the clergy. The use of robes in the coronation dates back to the Middle Ages when King Edward II's 1308 manuscript Liber Regalis laid out the structure of the ceremony. 
but as velvet, satin, silks, and furs stand up to use and time far less than metal and gems, these robes have had to be remade for almost every new monarch. Two of the robes, the super tunica and the robe royal, as well as the royal stole, are woven from cloth of gold and have been reused since the coronation of George IV. They are embroidered with floral emblems of various former British colonies. Altogether, these robes weigh 22 pounds. Scepters are an ancient symbol of power dating back to the Egyptians, the Babylonians, and the Roman Empire. In Christian monarchies, they are derived from the shepherd's crook carried by bishops. King Edgar the Peaceful was the first English king to use a scepter in his coronation in 973. Two scepters made in 1661 are part of the modern collection. The sovereign scepter with cross represents temporal power as head of state. It is three feet long, weighs 2.6 pounds, and is decorated with 333 diamonds, 31 rubies, 15 emeralds, 7 sapphires, 6 spineels, and 1 composite amethyst. In 1910, it was redesigned to incorporate the Cullinan One Diamond, also known as the Great Star of Africa, which at over 530 carats is the largest clear-cut diamond in the world and the largest and most valuable stone in the crown jewels. The Cullinan was part of a rough-cut diamond weighing 3,106 carats, or 1.36 pounds, which was mined in South Africa in 1905. The diamond was taken to London, but despite overwhelming fascination, no one could afford to buy it. Finally, the Transvaal colony government gave it to King Edward VII. He sent it to Amsterdam aboard a heavily guarded Royal Navy ship which was actually a decoy as the real diamond was carried in the pocket of jeweler Joseph Asher, who took the ferry. Asher, the greatest jeweler alive at the time, studied the diamond for two months in order to determine how best to cut it to render the largest stones possible. When he struck the first blow and the cullinan didn't shatter into tiny shards, he fainted. It took three jewelers eight months to cleave the rock into nine dazzling diamonds. Queen Mary often wore the Cullinans one and two as a brooch. These largest diamonds are part of the crown jewels, while the seven smaller, a number of other minor brilliants and unpolished fragments from the original Cullinan were bequeathed by Queen Mary to her granddaughter, Queen Elizabeth II. The sovereign scepter with dove represents the monarch's spiritual role. The monarch holds both scepters while being crowned with St. Edward's crown. Smaller versions of these two scepters were created for Mary of Modena in 1685 and have been used in the crowning of subsequent queen's consort. When Mary II and William III were crowned co-sovereigns, a second set of scepters equal to those of the sovereigns were fashioned. They were not used again and were considered lost for over a century. They were found in 1814 in the Tower of London in the back of a cupboard. Monarchs since the Middle Ages have worn rings to represent their marriage to the nation. 
The current sovereign's ring is an octagonal sapphire overlaid with a cross made of rubies, surrounded by 14 diamonds. The design represents the red St. George's Cross, patron saint of England, on the blue background of St. Andrew's Cross, patron saint of Scotland. The ring has been used by all monarchs since William IV, except Queen Victoria, whose fingers were too small. She had a new ring made, but the archbishop put it on the wrong finger. The ring got stuck, and the young queen had a great deal of pain getting it off. King Henry VIII added the orb to the regalia in 1509. It represents the monarch's authority over the Christian world. The current orb was made for Charles II in 1661. It is a hollow gold sphere 6.5 inches in diameter and weighing 2.6 pounds. The monarch carries the orb while leaving Westminster Abbey. A second orb made in 1689 for Mary II is part of the collection, but was only used once. Spurs represent the monarch's role as head of the military and have been used since the 1189 coronation of crusader Richard the Lionheart. The pair used today are from 1661. They are no longer worn by the monarch during the ceremony, but are simply brushed against the heels of kings or shown to queens. Arm mills are gold bracelets representing serenity and wisdom. Their use dates back to the 12th century, but after Charles II, they were not usually worn by monarchs, but simply kept in the procession. However, Queen Elizabeth liked the tradition so much that she not only wore the arm mills during her coronation, but kept them on even while waving to the crowd at Buckingham Palace. Plate Among the treasures in the jewel house are 31 pieces of altar plate. These chalices, patens, flagons, and candlesticks are all made of silver and gold and engraved with religious scenes. They are displayed on the high altar or in front of the royal box at Westminster Abbey during coronations. There are also 35 pieces of banqueting plate, which were last used to celebrate the coronation of George IV in 1821. They include a wine fountain made in 1640 and a giant punch bowl in the shape of an oyster shell. There are also three baptismal fonts kept in the jewel house. The first was ordered by Charles II in 1661. His marriage to Catherine of Braganza did not produce any children, but several of the king's illegitimate children were baptized using this font. Princess Charlotte of Wales was the last child christened with it. In 1738, King George II's son and heir, Prince Frederick, had infuriated his father and been banished from court. So the wayward prince ordered a new baptismal font for the christening of his own son, the future King George III. When Queen Victoria had her first child, also named Victoria, in 1840, she didn't want to use either of the old fonts because of their tainted histories. So she had the lily font made, which used Charles II's font as a base. The lily font has been used in the christenings of nearly all royal children since, including the children and grandchildren of Queen Elizabeth.
the dazzling works of art and craftsmanship which comprise the crown jewel collection represent the best preserved physical artifacts of 800 years of royal history and the staggering wealth amassed by the monarchy by means both fair and foul choice pieces can be spotted from time to time with the royal family and are on permanent public display at the tower of london Many of the crown jewels will be paraded out in all their historic glory on the 6th of May at the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Consort Camilla. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.